The following audio is from a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 3:21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, I want to welcome you again to Sacred City. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I, I spend my life in the present and in the future, primarily. I don't look back very often. And, but thankfully, somebody created an app for that. And uh, I have this little app on my phone that's called Time Hop that reminds me of the genius things I posted on Twitter 10 years ago. Oh, and Facebook. These are deeply shameful experiences every morning when I wake it up and I read it. But occasionally there was some nugget of truth or something there or a picture there that reminds me of something. And this week, uh, I had one such moment. On Wednesday, I was scrolling through, through my time hop and I realized that 10 years ago, um, I got fired <laughs> because I felt called to plant a church. And that forced us out the doors into planting Sacred City Church. And 10 years ago, we, me and, actually, you know what? I'm just going to do this. If you were with me 10 years ago, just stand up just for, just for a second. There's a handful of you, I think. Yeah, up there in the balcony. All right. Where's Joel? I know Joel was there. Wherever Joel's at, Joel's back there. All right, so a handful of these people right here in my living room 10 years ago, what are we going to do? We're going to plant a church, Sacred City Church, and that was the beginning. And now a few weeks later, we closed it down and we stopped it. And I went to Omaha for a church planting residency to be trained more properly uh, to start the church. And then we came back about a year and a half later and we launched Sacred City Church version two of which all of you are a part of, and I'm very thankful for it. And to think 10 years ago in my living room, um, none of us had this. We didn't think this was going to happen. Um, in fact, we thought the exact opposite was going to happen. Uh, we just thought it was going to be a handful of us till Jesus comes, and we're willing to do it no matter what. And uh, we were, man. Uh, you know, when we first launched this gathering, there's only 60 people here, 60 people. Roughly, there's probably 300 and to 20 or something like that today. There were 60 people in this, in this building. Man, it was sparse, right? I, had to, I was preaching to angels, I think, most of the time. Uh, but the Lord's been really good and the Lord's been really faithful to us. And I just want to say, I'm thankful uh, to be where I am 10 years in the future now. I'm thankful to be your pastor. Um, I feel like God has planted a church that we dreamed about. We didn't know if it was possible because none of us had experienced it before. Um, but week in and week out, God's doing something special here, and I'm just thankful to be your pastor. I'm thankful to be here. So, thank you. 
Thanks for putting up with me the last nine years. This last year, I think I've done a little better, but first nine years were pretty rough. No, I'm just joking. But thanks for putting up with me, and I hope to be your pastor for another 20 years. It's my goal. Also, um, I'm just thrilled, man. Joel was back this week. It was, we had, he was off for the last three weeks, had a baby, and uh, just blessed to have Joel back here. Joel with me from the beginning, moved to Omaha. Uh, I'm going to do this just because I can. One day, we just need to ask Joel to come dressed in his work outfit from when he first started planting this church. That's all we need to ask him, okay? It might be Chuck E. Cheese. It might be, all right? He might come as Chuck E. Cheese, okay, in person, all right? To see what God is, I mean, I just, I just love it, man. A young man leading his family, loving his wife, and he, were, he was Chuck E. Cheese. That's why, yeah, that's why he's so entertaining. Oh, man. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Come on. <laughs> and also this morning, it's also, I, I, uh, there's bathrooms downstairs if you, downstairs if you didn't know this. And the, those who set up, we all know this. So we sneak down there and use those bathrooms. And I was sneaking down there this morning and I realized, oh, I forgot. We have a completely new classroom downstairs again. We've outgrown the two cottages. And I'm just blown away the way Emily and her team Got that set up downstairs, two new classrooms down there. It looks nice. So it's just the, 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 the amount of leadership we have at this church and the ability to roll with the punches and adjust, adjust week in and week out just blows, blows me away. And you guys know, not all of this gets set up every Sunday morning. So you should thank somebody. You see somebody up on stage, you should thank them because they were here very early when you were still sleeping to set all this stuff up. Rain, shine, fog, snow, sleet. They're here every single Sunday morning. And so it takes a lot of work to do that. So thanks, somebody, on your way out. Uh, I think that's it. I just want to pray, and let's get after it. All right. Father, nope, you know what? Sorry, guys, I had one more thing. <laughs> the, we did the survey last week, and the time change worked. So the week before, we, te we tested 9 and 11. 90% chose 9, 10% 11. That won't work. Last week, we chose 8.30 and 10.30, and it was almost a 50-50 split. So in the future, I know some people are like, no, we were trying to sabotage it. I know, but <laughs> sometime in the future, we'll be going to two services, it looks like, Lord willing, 8.30 and 10.30. We're running the numbers right now to determine uh, when that will be, if we can wait to the first of the year or what that's going to be like, um, but we will let you know. And thank you for volunteering for our kids' ministry as well. Now, I will pray, and we can get after it. Father, we do thank you for getting to be in your presence this morning. As Joel said, our life is chaotic. We feel the darkness all around us. We feel the weight of sin. We feel the brokenness. We really feel the despair. Every day in our news feeds, we feel the despair of the world that we exist in. And yet we have hope. We have hope not because of our own strength, not because of our own wisdom, not because of the country we live in or the city we live in or the culture we're a part of. We have hope because we believe Jesus Christ defeated death and he reigns at the right hand of the Father. And all things have been given to him and he has all things in his hands. 
And so we entrust ourselves to our faithful creator this morning. We invite the Holy Spirit to speak through me, a foolish man, and in many ways that has his own problems and his own sins and his own struggles. Father, use me, think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. Help us focus in on you for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are discussing the line in the Apostles' Creed that affirms, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian here this morning, this should be your bedrock of your foundation, just the very bedrock of your foundation of your life with God, your relationship with God, that you believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. This is the, literally what pumps blood through the veins of the church, that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, these words might sound like a foreign language or maybe ancient, archaic language to you. We live in a very strange time. On one hand, for the past 40 or 50 years, our society has been slowly secularizing and adopting a postmodern philosophy that says morality is all a cultural construct that needs to be torn down. We're taught that there are no moral truths, no objective moral truths, that every person must usually look inside to find their own truth, to develop or create their own morality, what's right for them. We've, we hear this in every sitcom we, hear, every, we watch, every Netflix show, every, um, every song that we sing, what's right for you might not be right for me. Find your truth. Find what's right for you. A recent Barna research poll asked participants to agree or disagree with this statement. Whatever is right for your life or works best for you is the only truth you can know. 39% of elders, that generation, agreed. And 74% of millennials agreed with that statement. So from this perspective, our culture, so if you start with that, if that's your working worldview, that's the parameter with you, which you exist in, we can only know our own truth. You have, if you believe that, you have to reject the God of the Bible. You have to reject a God who sets a universal moral code like the Ten Commandments. You have to reject Jesus who expanded upon that law and gave us the golden rule and the greatest of all laws and greatest of all the commandments. Love God, right? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you also have to reject the Bible itself because it has moralistic demands, in the words of another artist that started out Christian but abandoned the faith, Gunger sings, we cannot keep you in a church. We cannot keep you in a Bible. It's just another idol to box you in. So if you've been influenced by this postmodern concept of truth and morality, and all of us have been influenced in some way or another, we might not even recognize it. You might say the forgiveness of sins, who needs that? Who says that I am a sinner and who do I need to be forgiven by? Who says that I need forgiveness? 
Well, my response to you would be twofold. First, God says you need forgiveness because you've broken his good law and you've sinned against the beauty of his own glory. It's his world and you've contributed in some way to its pollution. Second, your own soul tells you you need forgiveness. Let me expand on this point for a minute or two. The postmodern script tells us that everyone has a right to their own truth. That individuals have a unique right. I don't know where that right comes from, but we believe there's some kind of inherent right for individuals to determine their own moral code. And yet, at the same time, our culture, our postmodern culture, claims to possess universal truths that everyone must accept. And if everyone on the planet doesn't accept them, then our planet is literally going to go up in smoke. Hear me out. I went to an Assemblies of God church growing up. That's Pentecostal. Now, I heard this sermon a thousand times. Basically, it went like this. If you don't stop sinning, God is going to come and judge the earth. He's coming with fire and brimstone, and if you don't turn, you will burn. I find it interesting that our postmodern culture who reject all universal truth claim has now embraced this turn or burn philosophy. It's the new fundamentalism. And you can see it clearly when you look at the topic of climate change. What is our mainstream culture's message on climate change? The planet is dying and it's all your fault. We are all guilty. Do you drive a truck? Double guilty. Do you fly in a plane? Shame on you. Do you have more than 1.2 children? <gasps> You're ruining the earth. Now, what is our culture trying to do? They're trying to convince us that we are sinners. The world is breaking and it's our fault. I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I'm like, well, I don't even disagree with you about that. <laughs> but from your own postmodern worldview, that doesn't make sense. You are making a universal claim to truth. The world is burning up and it's our fault. And you're judging everyone in the world by that claim. If you are not doing your part, you are ruining the earth. You are a sinner. How is that any different from what the Bible does? It's just moralism and fundamentalism and religion repackaged. Something new at the center. God is no longer at the center. Something else is at the center. Not only that, but our culture wants to punish and shame those who don't comply to their personal view on climate change. Now listen, if you accept this truth, and I don't, we don't even have to disagree, like that we are contributing to the death of our planet through our pollution, our carbon emissions, our carbon footprint, 
then you, they're pushing this, right? Then if you accept that, then you have to accept its conclusion. Every one of us are guilty. We are all sinners. Ironically, this is exactly what the Bible tells us. And in Romans 8, when the Bible says that all creation is groaning, that's what it means. That we're all born into sin, that we all are sinners and we are contributing to the ruinification of our, of our world. We commit, we sin against one another. And we know that deep down there's something wrong with it. I was in the, the line the other day at a coffee shop a few weeks back and I watched somebody pull in, roll down their window and throw out an entire McDonald's bag into the parking lot. And I went, <gasps> I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I, I, want, I have a unique view to people's sin, Okay. People come and talk to me. I've just screwed my life up. I've done this. Nothing shocks me anymore. Nothing shocks me. I've, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. But there was something in me. This person threw their garbage out the window. And I went, people still do that? I, I was just like, what? What is? Now, why? Because I've even embraced some of this worldview. What kind of savage throws their stuff out the window? But the question we need to be asking is, okay, listen, if we're, we're Christians here, we don't have to argue. When the culture's pushing this, we don't have to fight back and try to outmaneuver it. We can just say, you know what? I, okay, I can agree with that. I can get on board with that. The earth is, we're destroying the earth and we're contributing. Okay, now what? We're all guilty. We're all sinners. Now what? See, if this is true, and the Bible and my own soul testifies to the fact that I am indeed a sinner, what is there left for me to do? Can I, is there forgiveness? Well, this is why Christianity is such good news. And every other worldview is such bad news. If you didn't know, the word gospel means literally good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news in the world because it tells us how we can be freed from this guilt, how we can really be forgiven from our sins. And before I go into great detail on the good news of Christianity, I want us to see that this is a universal need for every human. That we've all sinned. We, we know it somewhere deep in our soul. We know we are guilty and we try to ignore that feeling. We try to manage that feeling. We try to medicate that feeling. We, we try to counsel it away, but it won't go away. And 500 years ago, the Roman Catholic Church capitalized on this feeling and offered their worshipers the opportunity to buy their way out of this feeling, out of even purgatory. They called them indulgences, that you could sin, you could break the law, as long as you gave this gift to the church so the church could build their beautiful church buildings. And a person could literally buy their way out from the punishment of their sins through the buying of indulgences from the church. Now, this was one of the things that sparked the Reformation. It was against Scripture. Scripture teaches no one can buy their way out of the sin that they've committed. And yet, listen to this. This is exactly what our current culture has repackaged 
you can now buy your way out of your guilt over ruining the planet. A person who flies on a plane a lot can now purchase carbon offsets or carbon credits and someone else can plant a tree for you to offset the carbon footprint that you use to fly to wherever you're going. I read an article this week. A a snowboarder who is an activist and he's a climate change activist and he he was talking about his love to snowboard and if you know anything about any mountaineers, they ask you, why do you do it? And the answer is, because it's there. You see a mountain and you've got to get to the top of it. And there's some backcountry mountain that everyone wanted to snowboard. And the only way you could get there is to rent a helicopter to drop you on the top of this mountain. And this snowboarder, who's a climate change activist, who knows that we're contributing to the death of our planet and it's horrible and all this, he rented a helicopter, and over the day, over and over again, that helicopter burned all that fuel and took him to the top. And he said, guys, I know it's wrong. I know it's bad, but I love snowboarding so much, I just can't stop. So I'm buying these carbon offsets to offset my sins. Listen, I'm like, brother, that's, that's the best picture of sin I've ever heard. I, lo- I know it's wrong, but I love it so much. Now, okay, now I feel deeply guilty over it and all my followers who know I'm an activist know I just, I'm a hypocrite. So what can I do to buy myself out of this guilt and buy myself out of this hypocr- hypocrisy? Oh, the new church just says, oh, we conveniently have some new and updated indulgences for you to buy and you can pay somebody else to plant a tree for you. This is not just some, you know, scientific fact. This is a religion. It's just a bad one. It's all law and no power, no grace, no gospel. Here is the gospel according to this culture. The world is going to hell in a handbasket and it's your fault. You are a sinner. The only way that anyone can bring healing to our world is by becoming vegan. That's a law that will kill you in more ways than one. We got, become vegan, get rid of the combust, combustion engine, right? Stop making babies. This one is just, I won't even go into it. Right? People like me, four kids, we're called breeders now. We're called breeders. I'm like, dang right I am. (laughs) If I had more money, I wouldn't have stopped. (laughs) Right? If you do eat meat or you do drive a car or you do go somewhere, then you must pay for your sins by purchasing these carbon offsets. Now listen, that is not good news at all. That is more law. Oh, what's the answer? Do more. Give more. Right? It's it's a law that enslaves. There's no joy in that. And let me show you how the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best news in the world. First, the Bible agrees with the first two premises that our culture is saying right now. No matter what the science says, the scripture said this 2,000 years ago. 
The world is polluted. The world is corrupted. Human beings are contributing to that fact. It's our fault. We are sinners. But here's the good news of Christ. We aren't the ones who are going to put everything right in our world. Should we work for it? Should we vote for it? Should we pray for it? Should we do our absolute best as stewards of our planet? Absolutely. But we are not going to bring redemption to our world. King Jesus is. So what do we do with our guilt? How do we live in that? Well, we're contributing, we are sinners, and Jesus is the one who's going to make things right. But now I feel guilty over my own brokenness and the ways that I've contributed to the wrongs that are in the world. See, our sin is primarily against God. It's not against the earth. He's the creator of the earth, so our sin is against him. Run it up the food chain there. So we've broken his world. We've broken his laws. We've broken his love. So we need his forgiveness. And that is the great question that our souls need the answer to. How can we be forgiven of our sins? Thankfully, we don't have to guess. But this morning, as I get to our text, we might have to learn some new old words. They're they're new to us, maybe. They're old words. They're good words, but they're they're $100 words, okay? They're words that you you go to seminary for, okay? These $100 words the Apostle Paul is going to use in the book of Romans to open up this mystery of forgiveness, open up this mystery of the gospel, He's going to use this word justification, an analogy from the law courts. He's going to use the word redemption, an analogy from the prisoner of war and slave auction. And he's going to use the word propitiation, a word that describes the turning away of wrath. So if you can look with me at Romans chapter 3. Romans was a book or a letter that was originally written in Greek. And in the Greek, this section is one long sentence. One scholar said that this is arguably the most important sentence ever written. Ever written by man. Think about that. That's what we get to dive into and study this morning. Quite possibly the most important sentence ever written. The ESV The version of the Bible that we use here at Sacred City, it's a word-for-word translation uh, with the utmost scholarship and and the best and the brightest behind it right now. It breaks it into several sentences and puts it into a, a paragraph to help our 21st century minds understand it. But here in this sentence, the Apostle Paul breaks open for us the greatest mystery in the universe, the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel solves two Two problems, two great problems that we have when it comes to forgiveness. First, how could a good and just God forgive sinners of their transgressions? And second, how can a sinner be truly forgiven for their transgressions? Let's answer the first question. How can God forgive sinners and still be righteous? Can people just sin and get away with it? Can We just destroy God's planet and break his laws and just say, oh, well, he's going to fix it in the end anyways. 
I'll just ask, I'll pray for forgiveness and it'll be all right. How is that good? Wouldn't that make God himself unjust? And if he's not just, then he's not good. Think about it like this. A man has been scamming people for years, stealing their inheritances, ruining their financial lives. Then he gets caught. He stands before the judge and he says, judge, I'm sorry and weeping. He says, I should have never done it. I made big mistakes. I'm sorry. I've sinned. Please forgive me. And the judge says, oh, buddy, you are forgiven. Go in peace. How does that make the victims feel? How does that make the judge look? He looks unjust and the victims have been further victimized. There was no justice in that courtroom. That's the problem that we have with a good God who's holy and righteous and has a good law. And the idea that he could forgive people, that creates a problem. This is exactly what Paul's addressing in Romans chapter 3, verses 21. Let's read it together. But now the righteousness of God, now this term, righteousness of God, it literally means God's rightness in himself. Is he righteous? Is he just? Is he good? Is he honest? Is he true? Right? That's the righteousness of God. Listen, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Look at right here. Right here. Why did Jesus come? All of that was what Jesus has done. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus do what he had to do? This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, look, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul says the main reason Jesus had to come and give his life was to vindicate the righteousness of God. What does he mean by that? Look at that term. He says over the years, look, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That means you read in the Old Testament, People sinned, and guess what? They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't die right away. They didn't get the just punishment for their sins. One of the worst examples of this is David and Bathsheba, if you remember the story. David, king, looking, seeing another woman, not his wife, another woman who was married, bathing. He got excited about it. He told the guard, his, his guards to go and get her and bring her to him. And David arguably raped Bathsheba. A man in power, a powerless woman, her husband's off at war. He sends the guards to go get her. He takes what he wants. He's a king. He does it. God calls him out, sends a prophet to, to rebuke him. He confesses his sins. He says, I'm sorry, but he does. And he, he, you know, he also has the, the husband killed. So he's a murderer too. But God does not kill David. God does not 
smite him in the moment. He doesn't get what he deserves. God passed over in his divine forbearance. God passed over these sins. Now you can look at that and you go, that's not fair. That's not just. Especially what happened to Bathsheba's husband, a good man. That's not right. It's not just. How could God allow that? That's the problem Romans is addressing. That's the problem Paul's talking about. That's the problem that the gospel of Jesus Christ solves. That's the first one. In Jesus, here it is, Jesus as the son of God, all of the sins of God's people, the elect, have been, he takes them into himself or onto himself and on at the cross, all of those sins have been judged and punished. Therefore, God is still just. Why did David, why, did, why could he pass over David's sin? Because he is going to take the sin of David and put it on Jesus. And in Jesus, he's gonna punish that sin once and for all. That's how. God does not ignore our sins. He doesn't say, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I'm a gracious guy. I'll just look, look past it this once. You didn't have your coffee yet. I know you're tired. Kids kept you up all night. No big deal. I get it. No. God takes all of our sins eternally serious. Someone had to die for them. Someone had to pay for them. And it should have been us. That's why we sing about it. That's why our liturgy is all about it. That's why we confess our sins. Every, it should have been us. But God chose to pay for them himself. See, when God crushed Jesus on the cross, that was Jesus taking our place, becoming our substitute, absorbing the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Therefore, our sins have already been punished and the judge is still righteous. He's not looking over them. The second question, well, then how do we get forgiven? Well, how, how does this work? How does this punished and somebody else and somebody else taking your place? How does this all work? How does God remain just while simultaneously giving grace to us? And that's where Paul uses those $300 words. He uses the word justification or justified. Now, justification, that's a legal term. It's literally from the courtroom. That's when a person, the charges are brought against a person and all the evidence is presented. And the judge says, I've seen it all. I've heard it all. And I declare this person not guilty. Now, how can a sinner go before the judgment seat of God and here you're justified? Here you're not guilty. Because Jesus stood in front of us before that court of law and Jesus was declared guilty in our place for our sins. And because Jesus stood in front of us and became us, literally, he was our federal head. He was our representative. He went before us and said, what they deserve, put it on me. I want to take it in my flesh. And Jesus, who was sinless, took our sins upon him and took our punishment that we deserve. And so now, the judge, God himself, can look at us and say, and can look at us literally just as if we had never sinned. The record of wrong that stands against us was nailed to the cross. And so our sins are no longer condemning us because they, were, they condemned Jesus. 
He canceled our record of wrongs done against him in our world. Now, that's justification. Declared not guilty. It's one aspect of forgiveness. Second, redemption. Redemption is an illustration from prisoner of war and the, sl and, and the, slave, uh, the slave auction. And what happened during those days is when, when uh, countries would take prisoners of war, they would bring them back and they would sell them. And you could buy a prisoner of war to work in your garden or do whatever. And you're literally buying somebody to work for you, right? And that idea of redemption is buying someone out of that, paying for someone, freeing someone out of that. And in the gospel, Jesus, listen, he Per, he paid the price. He purchased our forgiveness at the price of his own blood. That we were all slaves to sin. Slaves to our own selfish desires. But Jesus redeemed us. He goes to the slave auction and buys us out of our slavery. And now we were slaves to sin. Now we have a new master. And that master is Jesus, our Lord. We are no longer slaves to sin. Sin's power over us has been broken. And then lastly, the big word, propitiation. That means not only did you have a record of wrongs against you, not only were you enslaved to a master, but you also deserved punishment. You deserved wrath. You deserved Judgment. This is the guilt we feel. We know we've broken the law. We know we've done something wrong. We've sinned against God, our family, our friends, our country, our culture, whatever it is, our earth. And we know we deserve something bad for that. We feel it in our bones. Well, when it says that Jesus became our propitiation, it means the wrath of God that we deserved has been turned away from us forever. When we sin, we sense we deserve something bad. What we deserve is God's righteous wrath. But in Jesus, that wrath is turned away from us forever because Jesus steps in front of us and takes that wrath in full force. And now, because the wrath has been absorbed and the wrath has been taken away from us, now we can have God's gaze of delight upon us. His fatherly gaze, his loving affection can be turned towards us because his wrath has been satisfied in Jesus. Paul says all of these benefits come to a repentant believer by grace, through faith. He says that this righteousness of God has been manifested, listen, apart from the law. It means rules, moralism, trying better. Anything humans can do, there's nothing we can do to get our way out of it. We can't buy our way out of guilt. We can't buy our way out of sin. We can't buy our way out of shame. We can't perform our way out of it. Oh, I know I did. I looked at that. I shouldn't have looked at that. All right, I'm going to, the next month, I'm not going to look at that again. That's moralism. That's trying to ignore the fact that you're actually guilty. Trying to lower the standard of God's law and say, well, he knows I'm, you know, I'm trying hard. 
all of our efforts to stop feeling guilty, to stop feeling ashamed, to somehow be good and God will love me. All of our efforts still fell fall well below the glory of God. And so all it does, all of our trying harder and we're, and on, you know, we're gonna do better this time, all of that does, it puts us deeper and deeper and deeper into debt because we just keep sinning, 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 sinning. Just compounds our problems. Now listen, I was listening this week to a podcast from a, uh, a Medal of Honor recipient. His name is Dakota Meyer. He's a Marine sniper, and he, he, he wrote a, a book about his time uh, in the war in Afghanistan. And he was a great, he was a great warrior. And he was part of a, a small Marine unit. He was, like a, he was a sniper, and his job was overwatch. His job was to protect his unit. And through some circumstances, he, they were going on a, a tough a mission, and, and one of the guys above him said, you're not going, you're sitting this one out. He disagreed with some people, and, and uh, his team's got to go into this really tough spot. And he says, listen, guys, no matter what, if you get in the fire, I'm coming to help you. I'll be there. It's my job to look out for my men. And through a long, basically, bunch of events, his whole team is killed. And he's, he gets the Medal of Honor because he spends the whole, next, the whole day going in and pulling out people and, and, and saving the Afghans that were helping, uh, the Afghan troops that were helping. And he rescued 20-something people, and, but he couldn't get to his team. And by the time he got to his team and he did carry them all out, they were all dead. And he goes back home and he's dealing with PTSD like, many, like any normal human being does and everyone does. It's in that type of environment. And he's got this overwhelming sense of guilt. It's my fault. I failed. I told them I would protect them. It's my job to protect them. That's what a Marine does. That's what a sniper does. And I failed. And they would, the military would send him to all kinds of different counselors and all kinds of different psychiatrists. And they're always trying to say the same thing. It's not your fault. And he, he would say, I ain't trying to hear that. As soon as you say that, I dismiss everything you say because I know it was my fault. That's what a Marine does. He protects his unit. I was called to protect or die. That's my calling. So don't tell me I don't, I, you know, just forget about it. Don't tell me that they're in a better place. Don't tell me I'm not guilty. As soon as you say that to me, I, I don't even, like you're trying to get me to believe a lie. Oh, you want me to feel better? So you want me to believe a lie? I'm not guilty. I don't buy it. He hears that he's gonna get the Medal of Honor. He said, a Medal of Honor for the worst day of my life? I don't want it. I don't want it. He takes a gun, he puts it to his head, he pulls the trigger. It's always loaded. There's always one in the chamber and someone, his, one of his friends had taken the bullet out of the chamber. As soon as he hears the click, he knows I've had a second chance. Now, I'm listening to this podcast and I'm thinking, this guy needs the gospel. You're like... I know it's, it sounds hard. He gets it in his bones. He's guilty. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. He couldn't save his men. He couldn't do what he, he committed to do. And what does he need? He needs real forgiveness. And a bullet won't give him that. But here's the reality. Someone took a bullet for him. 
And that was Christ. Christ took all of that, all of our good deeds, all of our honest intentions, all of our trying harder, all of our rule breaking, all of our sin. Christ took it all on the cross and died for us there. And so we have real sins and those real sins were put on a real man, Jesus Christ. And he died a real death on a real cross. And he was resurrected in a real body. And all of that is meant to work its way into us and give us real forgiveness from the real guilt that we feel and the real shame that we feel. We don't tell ourselves, oh, we tried harder. Oh, you're not really that bad. If we're trying to use those techniques on our soul, we're trying to... Live a lie. Christians don't say, oh, it wasn't really my fault. Oh, I guess I, you know, just need to try harder. You know, Jesus grades on a curve. It's okay. That's what Christians don't say. Christians says, I am guilty. G.K. Chesterton, the newspaper during his time said, what's wrong with the world? And they asked Essayus to write in. What's wrong with the world? And Essayus wrote in uh, response after response. And G.K. Chesterton wrote in his response, I am What's wrong with the world? I am. What's he saying? We're all sinners. And listen, you can't medicate yourself out of guilt. You can't me-time yourself out of guilt. You can't self-care your day, your way out of guilt. You can't read your way out of guilt. You can't pay your way out of guilt. You can't vacation your way out of guilt. You can't make promises that what you've done in the past you won't do in the future your way out of guilt. Guilt is real and the only thing that removes it from a human being is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Man. This is why this is the best. Yeah. Yeah. There is nothing we can do to earn the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Thankfully, Jesus has done what we cannot do. So this morning, sense your deep need for him. That's why I'm always telling people, when you feel like garbage, that's the Sunday you got to be here. When you failed on Friday night or you failed on Saturday or you fa- and you feel like, oh no, they're all gonna know I'm messed up. They're all gonna know I'm a, I'm a fake, I'm a phony. That's when you gotta get here and you get here early so you hear my pastoral welcome. Sense your deep need for him. Let your guilt do what it's meant to do. Drive you to the soft, open, warm, loving arms of Jesus. That's what shame's for. Drive us to Jesus. That's what anxiety is for. That's what depression is for. It's meant to drive you deeper and deeper and deeper into the arms of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to him. Look to him on the cross, justifying you, redeeming you, turning away the wrath of God for you, taking the bullet for you. And receive that grace as gift. That's it. Receive it by faith. Open your hands. Receive the gift through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, and it's the best news in the world. And here's the thing. Nobody else has got it. The church of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can say, I'm a sinner, and I'm loved. What? Yeah. And buy your carbon credits if you want to. 
Let me pray. Father, what good news this is for broken sinners. Help us, Lord. It's no flippant thing to feel guilt and feel shame and feel brokenness inside, to feel there's something wrong with us and there's something wrong with our, with our world. It's haunting. And yet I'm thankful that you told us this is the way it is because of the curse of sin and you have overcome the grave and you can forgive us because of Jesus and Jesus is going to make all things new in the end. Whether we, we turn away from self-help strategies, we turn away from pop psychology ways to manage these feelings inside of us, and we turn to the eternal hope of the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are our hope. You are our refuge. And I pray that repentant sinners would run to you this morning. As Charles Spurgeon said, we should kiss the wave that throws us on the rock of ages. Jesus, you are the rock of the ages. And our suffering, and our, it throws us onto you. And I pray this morning we would stop fighting, stop working, stop trying to earn our way out of it. And we would receive the grace of God this morning. And I'm thankful that we don't just get to say it and hope it and believe it, but we get to eat it this morning. That this hope that you've given us is represented in the broken bread, representing your body, and the poured out wine that represents your blood. And this morning we get a means of grace. We get to take that physical reality into ourselves. And we ask Jesus we believe, Jesus, you are spiritually here with us in this meal and that you right now would minister to our souls. Even as we take the elements, you would minister to our souls. Relieve that guilt. Remove that shame. Bring light in the darkness. Those that are in de depression right now, bring light into their darkness. Bring hope into despair. Do it for your glory and our good, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.